Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. A mo- Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, March 2nd. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a mobile billboard is traversing parts of the Magnolia State. The doctor behind it wants to remind residents that abortion pills are still legal in all 50 states. After nearly two years of striking, hundreds of coal miners in Brookwood, Alabama, could be returning to work soon without the better contract they fought for. Plus, Mississippi joins the nation in recognizing March as Brain Injury Awareness Month. A mobile billboard is in Mississippi this week reminding residents abortion pills are still legal in all 50 states. The campaign is organized by Mayday Health, Dr. Jennifer Lincoln, and OBGYN in Portland, Oregon, founded the health education nonprofit last summer after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. That was definitely the galvanizing action, and on the day that Roe fell, when people were desperately searching for information, Mayday Health managed to reach millions of people despite having no following or foothold on social media. Um, They were there to meet people in that moment who felt that they still need to know what they could do. So this week, Mayday Health is in Mississippi, specifically in Jackson, and Wednesday, you were at Bellhaven University riding a billboard around. Tell us about that. Correct. So we currently have we currently have billboards in 14 banned states. The goal being that with the hook of this is Women's History Month, we continue to write this history. And we have not forgotten about women and people with the uterus in banned states, that they still matter. We are still fighting for them. And our goal is to let people know that if you're pregnant, you have a choice and that you can still get abortion pills mailed to you in all 50 states. And our website is a very easy, simple way to do that, and we wanted to raise awareness. We know that less than half of Americans understand that medication abortion pills even exist, and about the same percentage is unsure whether or not they can even get them in their state. So our goal is to raise awareness, trust, and let them know that there is access and there is help out there, and they can do it in a way that is safe, that is private, and that allows them to exercise their freedom of bodily autonomy. You're trying to let people know that they can get abortion pills through the mail. Isn't that up for debate? And also, aren't there efforts to end it, that availability? 
there absolutely are efforts to end that availability, as we all know, the case that could come out any day now from Amarillo, Texas, which is a political case, not one based in science, with the attempt to remove the FDA approval of a very safe drug, Mifepristone, that we have over 20 years of safety data on. And we also know that currently 19 states have bans on the telemedicine prescription for safe, self-managed legal abortion. However, we at Mayday know that Americans in all 50 states deserve better and access to reproductive health care should not be defined by a border. When getting abortion pills through the mail, do they get them through you? How does that take place? So Mayday Health is not a prescriber, so we do not distribute pills. We do not make any money off of people coming to our website. We are purely an education site, and so we point people to websites that they can go to that we know can either do mail forwarding where they're able to order pills from a website or a provider in the U.S. and have those forwarded to a non-banned state sent to a non-banned state and then forwarded to them, or through an international option such as aid access. So we are, think of us as the educational hub. Um, you know, people can come to the drive-through, say this is what they need, and then we don't give them the pills, but we show them exactly how to get them and do it in a safe way. Our website is in four languages and is in a fifth grade reading level. So our goal is to be accessible to as many people as possible. Friday, You'll be parked outside the state capitol, and the mobile billboard will also drive around Millsaps College, which is in Jackson. People might say you're targeting young people with access to abortion pills. Is that the case? I think the goal here is to target folks who don't have this information. And for a lot of people, that is younger people because they are in a state and in school systems where they're not even getting comprehensive, medically accurate sex education. So we are not preparing them for the reality of what happens when they go out into the real world. They don't know how to stay safe. They don't know how to protect themselves. And even more, we're seeing in places like Texas where they might even potentially want to limit the websites that people can then access if they have questions. And so we really believe that When you're prepared, when you're educated, when you're empowered, you can make the choice that's right for you. And for some people, that is abortion, and for others, it isn't. This is just filling in the gap of something that we know these people are not being told. And we know that when we do that, when we restrict information, people can't really make a true informed choice for them if they're not given the information. So that's our goal is to show up, especially for people who've been ignored, who've been marginalized. We know those are younger people. Those are people in poverty. Those are people in racial groups where systemic racism already interacts with how they are able to interact and access health care. And we're here to say that that's not okay, and we want everybody to know their full scope of choices, whether it's pregnancy or parenting or adoption or abortion, that this is another just another tool in that toolbox for them to be able to make a good, informed choice. How effective are abortion pills? And if I'm not mistaken, I read that they're effective 99.6% of the time up to 10 weeks? Correct. They are remarkably effective um, and certainly, um, you know, an extremely safe medication. So we know that they're effective up to, like like you said, 99.6% of the time. Um, they are FDA approved up to 10 weeks in the United States, but the World Health Organization, um, which, by the way, is on a list of their essential medications, states that you can use them up to 12 weeks. And so we know that they're safe and effective through the first trimester um, and with a very low risk of complications. So less than a half percent risk of major complications 
and an associated mortality rate of less than 0.001%, which is remarkably safer than childbirth. Um, so that's a stat that I think most people don't know because of the disinformation that's out there about abortion pills, but they're safer than Tylenol, they're safer than penicillin and Viagra. If I also saw where the judge in Texas could come out with a ruling by Friday, what if he comes out with a ruling outlawing obtaining abortion pills? What will you do mm-hmm. then? Yeah, so I think our top line messaging will be, and this is specifically he his goal is to um, remove the FDA approval of one type of abortion pill, so mifepristone. And so our top line messaging will be that you can still get mifepristone and mesoprostol, so it's a two-drug regimen for medication abortion in all 50 states from international pharmacies. And so this will, you know, make mail forwarding less of an option for people, but we will still be able to get these medications through international pharmacies, which is also why we're telling people today, you can order these medications ahead of time. So that way you do have them on hand if you're able to get them within the United States. Um, The other thing that we'll we'll stress too, is we want people to know this is a politically motivated ruling and it will not be a scientifically one. And then third, we will also let people know that while the two-drug regimen is something that we use more commonly in the United States for medication abortion, you can absolutely have a medication abortion with just mesoprostol alone. The dosages are different, um, and how you know how you do that is slightly different, but those pills will still be available and will also be available from the websites that we list as well, so people will be able to decide which route they want to go depending on their ability to access either one or both of these pills. What other states are you in right now doing this? So we are in um, 14 banned states, um, and I can tell you we're in Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Louisiana, Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. All right. Well, thank you so much. Mayday Health President Dr. Jennifer Lincoln speaking with us about what your organization is doing to help women with their health care. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up, after nearly two years of striking, hundreds of coal miners in Brookwood, Alabama, could be returning to work soon without the better contract they fought for. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. Thanks to our sustaining members who provide ongoing monthly financial support. You can become a sustainer, too. Go to mpbonline.org and click Donate Now at the top of the page. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. What likely has been Alabama's longest strike looks to be ending soon. The union representing hundreds of Alabama coal miners asked the company called Warrior Met Coal to bring back the strikers, even without the better contract they've been fighting to get for nearly two years. Now the two sides are hashing out details about what a return to work would look like. Stephen Basaha of the Gulf States Newsroom reports on why the strike failed and how the miners are taking it. If you listen to the union, they fought Warrior Met Coal to a valiant draw. 
But it's really more like the Union's waving the white flag. Sometimes when you run out of ammunition and your knife is dull, you got to give it up and fight another day. Riley Hewlett is one of roughly a thousand coal miners who've been striking not just for better pay, but really better benefits like more vacations and lenient sick days. Even on Easter, they would have us come to work. We should have Sunday off anyways. You know, that's, you know, I go to church on Sunday. At this point, they've been striking for about 700 days. So you showed you've been willing to fight. Yes. But what does that get you at the end of the day? Well, in some instances, probably a sore wallet. So that's what caused this strike to fail. These miners were giving up roughly $100,000 a year, while the company was still making plenty of money without them. That's because Warrior Met was able to find people to cross the picket line. Plus, the coal from these mines is used to make steel. And steel prices, they've been really high during the strike. Sure, the United Mine Workers Union says the company could have made a lot more money without the strike, but Warrior Met still made more than $640 million last year. In part because the miners have not been able to stop production at the mines. Because as Hewlett says, striking isn't like it was in the 80s. Modern security tech like cameras and sensors weren't as common or effective back then, so it was easier for strikers to do things like hold sit-ins and shut down workplaces. And had thousands of people out there so the police couldn't get in there. That's not going to happen today. You weren't able to take over those mines? No, no, we were barely able to walk in front of the place. (laughs) And that's true. For a good portion of the strike, a federal judge banned the strikers from picketing outside the mines. Those cameras recorded some strikers attacking vehicles, in some cases with replacement workers inside. So if striking is less effective today, should it just get left in the past? I asked John Logan about that. He's a director of labor studies at San Francisco State University. And yes, he says the power of strikes today are diminished. But striking is like, you know, the the sort of ultimate weapon that unions have. I mean, in the sense that hasn't changed. What has changed is that today it's really all about the short strike. One or two days during negotiations to let the boss know, hey, we're serious and united. Logan says it's harder for employers to find replacement workers for short strikes. They don't hurt members in the same way as long ones, and they still grab a lot of media attention. If you're talking about public-facing companies like Starbucks or Trader Joe's, then that type of media coverage, you know, and the reputational damage that it can inflict upon the companies is really, really important. But when your ultimate weapon, the long strike, fails, it really hurts a union standing, like the United Mine Workers here. It's going to go back to a divided workforce with fewer members, and they won't have the same appetite, you know, to go out and strike, I think, any time again in the future, near future. In the case of this strike, a lot of miners are figuring out if they even want to go back. Miners like Braxton Wright. He was practically the poster boy for this strike. He spoke to the New York Times. It was a proud moment for me, you know, when you were a union coal miner. You know, a lot of people kind of looked up to the union. He even spoke in front of the U.S. Senate about what the strike's been like. So it's kind of like, you know, playing Russian roulette with bills. You throw them out on the table and pick up which one you're going to pay at the time. When the union told the strikers it's going to ask Warrior Matt to take them back unconditionally, Wright was confused. Yeah, confused and a little angry. 
we kind of wasted two years to go back for the same thing that we walked out for. I caught right on his wife's cell phone right before he was about to leave for a new maintenance job at a steel manufacturer he's been working at during the strike. He's making more money now and has better benefits, so he's not sure if he's going to go back to Warrior Mets. Uh, yeah, the pros and cons list. The pros list is a uh, it's pretty short. Miner Riley Hewlett's also not sure about going back. He's been working another job above ground at a strip mine for a little more than half what he made at Warrior Mets. Pays a lot more underground, but you know I'm I'm getting old enough. To, I got three years left to work. I mean, do I want to go underground and bust my tail for three more years or? Do I sit on my butt in air conditioning? The union says it'll still be negotiating for that better contract even after its members go back to the mines, though it'll be doing that with significantly less leverage. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Stephen Basaha. The Gulf States Newsroom is a collaboration between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public media stations in Louisiana and Alabama. Coming up, Mississippi joins the nation in recognizing March as Brain Injury Awareness Month. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Have you been in this situation? You're listening to a great story on Think Radio in your vehicle, but now it's time to go inside. You want to keep listening, but you're ready to move on. What can you do? Pull up the MPB Public Media app on your phone while you're in the car. You can continue listening to that great MPB local show and not miss a moment. Search for the MPB Public Media app in your app store. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Experts and activists gathered at the Capitol this week to raise awareness about brain injuries. March is federally recognized as Brain Injury Awareness Month. Yesterday, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman read a proclamation that Mississippi would do the same. In attendance at the reading was Lee Moss. She is the executive director of the Brain Injury Association. A brain injury happens every nine seconds. I mean, just think about that. It's the most prevalent injury there is in the world. Um, It's the number one cause of death and disability for children, young adults, and now senior adults due to falls. And unfortunately, the number is probably going to go up because the baby boomers are getting older, and as one of those, um, we're falling. And uh, Mississippi is in the top five states per capita in numbers of brain injuries. We're number four for strokes. Strokes are also brain injuries. And I bet everybody here has a connection to brain injury, whether you think you do or not. Nearly 40 years ago, Mississippi had the worst rate of brain injuries in the nation, but things have improved since then, according to Dr. Howard Cast, a neurological surgery specialist. We have made tremendous progress in Mississippi since 1985. Um, I got into brain injury in 1982 uh, because in medical school that really um, 
interested me. And then when I became a specialist in physical medicine and rehab, I wanted to do spinal cord also. And so that's been my career. Um, I've been here since 85. I've lived through my grandmother having multiple head injuries and my father having an airplane propeller go through a skull. And I rehabbed them. Uh, my father lived for many years after that and remained independent, drove a car, and <clears throat> lived a fairly normal life and didn't die because of his brain injury. We are very happy and fortunate to be in Mississippi where things are getting better, where rehabilitation has grown, where we have uh, made so much progress in prevention but when we do have a brain injury, the best treatment is treatment and helping that person to live a, a normal life. Um, we, we're, we're always concerned about the cost of, of care and, and problems later in life. Well, treating brain injuries when they occur prevents a lot of problems later in life. Many survivors of brain injuries were also on hand, like Will Parker from Brandon. He shared his story with our Lacey Alexander. Well, to make an extremely long story short, um, this first part doesn't directly pertain to the injury, but I had seizures as a kid, and so at age 20, in, in the mid-90s, I underwent neurosurgery on the left side of the brain, and it stopped the seizures. It was wonderful, and I adjusted to using the right side of the brain for memory. And I finished college and had a good job. And then along came the year 2005. One day I wasn't feeling well. And then I went to the doctor. It seemed to be a routine cold or something along those lines. And then the next day I was in la-la land. And I had developed encephalitis on the right side of the brain, in the right temporal lobe, where I had become completely dependent for my memorization of new things. And it, it did not completely wipe out that memory capacity, but it took close to 99% of it. So I remember things prior to 2005 somewhat well, but since 2005, life is a huge blur to me. But I went underwent occupational therapy and learned to link that little bit of memory that I do have to external memory aids and a special note-taking mechanism so that I have remained in the workforce. I have a full-time job, and I also use that, that method, that note-taking method at home. With whatever projects I might have, I follow, follow what I learned thanks to the Methodist Rehabilitation's Quest program. And here's my memory. What was the question? Where, where do we need to go now? That was great. Thank you, Will. I see that you're wearing a badge from the Brain Injury Association. How often do you work or collaborate with them? Uh, roughly every every month or so there will be a support group and at least yearly there will be a, a get together for an event such as this such as brain injury awareness day and um, now of course covid disrupted things so things aren't fully back on track for much of anyone anymore but 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 things are coming back together for for everyone so now that covid has settled down thank goodness and what does it mean to you that we have lawmakers in the state who want to make this month officially recognized as brain injury awareness day it sends me chills of honor and delight to, to know that, that we have lawmakers interested in making this Brain Injury Awareness Month to help 
make people aware that brain injuries are real. They don't exclude anyone. They can happen to anyone in any time, whatever the scenario may be. And uh, mine happened to me encephalitis. Who would have thought? But that is considered a traumatic brain injury, a microscopic germ entering the brain. It was external to the brain. So... Uh, but where that, whatever the the cause may be, they they are unfortunately quite common. Di- different causes of traumatic brain injury, and this and making brain injury awareness month official would really help people to understand the scope of of things. Will Parker is a brain injury survivor who lives in Brandon. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.